Marcus Stan can't handle your Bible and all my stuff, so. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, brother. It is sweet to sit under the authority of men that love Jesus. There's no, there's no like difficulty being under authority when you know the person that governs us and governs this church, they just love Jesus. What a sweet first thing on the resume to see with Mark is that he loves Jesus. Thankful to our elders, all of them that govern. It's a hard job. Um, if you don't like what I do, please send your emails to Mark. I don't think he does email well, so send them all to him. <laughs> that should work fine. Um, this morning, we are going to talk about a text, a text that we, we have done with our youth. My name is Marshall. I'm the pastor of family ministry, so I oversee the youth. And, and this is a message that was really special to me as we started the year. This is one that we went through. So I want to bless you this morning with how God has blessed us and challenged us. But before I get into that, I have to back up a little bit to last year. You see, every year we take a verse kind of for the year that we'll look through, we'll study, we'll get to memorize, but we'll also look through Scripture through the lens of that verse. And I want to share with you what it was last year to get us up to a point where what we're going to read today. So 1 Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Those of us who are Christians have been called from darkness into his wonderful light. That's where we are. Those of us who, who know Christ, you're aware of this story. I'm not reading anything that's shocking or new, that you know that at one point you were dead in your transgressions and you were pulled from darkness into his wonderful light. Some of you right now would be like, I remember that day. Like, I remember that moment. I remember hearing that call. I remember that season of life. I remember that process where, where God pulled me from like this, this filth of life, this darkness, and he brought me into this wonderful life. For those of, of you here who aren't yet Christ followers, who maybe haven't, called Christ to be your Messiah, hasn't called Christ to be your king. Maybe you're here just wondering, what does the word teach? What do Christians believe? What does the Bible tell us? What is, how does God view me? Well, I'll tell you this. This is a sweet picture that you can hold on to, that, that God of all creation, he would look down through this vast universe into our little sphere, and he would look at us, and he would call us his special possession. That's something I cling to. That is a sweet line for me to remember that God has seen me as a holy nation, a royal priest, and a special possession. But there's this idea that we have come from darkness into his wonderful light, and then what? What do we do? Let me just pray as we get into this this morning. Jesus, I pray, as Mark prayed, that you would, they wouldn't hear me this morning, but they would hear the sweetness of you, the reflection of Christ through my words God, as we open your book, I pray that we would study your holy and perfect word with an authority and a reverence of who you are. Thank you for seeing me as a chosen special possession. Thank you for calling your church towards yourself. Amen. So churches, for those of us who are Christians, now again, if you're not, if you're on the outside looking in, thank you, welcome, love that you're here. Please keep coming. We want to encourage you to be here, but we are going to preach God's word unapologetically, and we're going to look at God's word and see what he would have for us to know this morning. And one of the things that we're going to discuss is that when he, we come in to the light, because we're called in the light, everything changes. In fact, you're going to hear the word different way too many times today. 
Now some of you are going to start ticking off every time I say it, because I did that. But Light can't be hidden by the darkness. In fact, no matter how black, no, no matter how deep that darkness feels, no matter how unending or how swallowed up or how like conquered you feel by the darkness, it doesn't matter how dark, only the smallest trace of light will pierce through that darkness. So we have this scene, we're going to open to Matthew 5, open to Matthew 5 with me. We have this scene where at the end of chapter 4, all, Jesus is teaching in the, and, and he's walking and from Galilee and there's hordes of crowds following, lots of people are following him. So as we get into chapter 5, Jesus backs up onto a mountain, his, calls his disciples and he starts to teach to this huge gathering of people. This gathering of people would have those who follow Christ, but it would also have those who don't follow Christ. It would have those who hate Christ. It would have Pharisees. It would have his disciples close by. And as he starts, it says, you i got to be specific here. When Jesus is talking, he's talking to his disciples. The word you there is actually translated better as disciple. This part, you are the light of the world. Look at 14 with me. It says, you are the light of the world. Disciple, Christ follower. Sitting with Jesus, letters in red. He's just speaking to us right now. This is applicable to then as, as it is now. Jesus says to you, you're just the light of the world. He goes on, a city on a hilltop can't be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your good deeds shine for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. You are the light of the world. This is a very specific, emphatic statement specific to those who are following Christ, following Christ, disciples of Christ. And he says this, you are the light of the world. That means this, it's kind of simple, that if we remove you, we remove the light of the world. If we take away the disciples, the world is in complete blackness. Oddly, the world seems to claim to be enlightened. Jesus is saying something else. He's saying, no, if we remove my disciples, there is no light in the world because my disciples are called here to be a light. This is a theme in scripture. And of course, you get, you, maybe some would naturally question, well, Jesus calls himself the light. Well, we are a reflection of the light. In fact, I was driving, if you've seen the skies lately in Muskoka, they've been pretty beautiful. Um, and we were driving with my daughter and the moon was so crisp and so beautiful. And I was just like, how are we like the moon? And she's like, we just reflect the sun. I'm like, whoa, 10 years old, nailed it. <laughs> Thought I was gonna be tricky and teach her. She's teaching me. But we just reflect, just like the moon, we don't have our own energy, we don't have our own inside explosion of goodness, all we do is we just reflect the sun of God. We just reflect the sun, that's our call, that's our light of the world. And this is a theme in scripture, Ephesians 5.8 says, you were formerly darkness, but now you were light in the world, walk as children of light. Philippians 2.15 says, so that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst, listen to this, we're here in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you will appear as lights in the world. For following Christ, we reflect his goodness and, his, and through our deeds and actions, we bring light to a dark and hopeless world. Leon Morris wrote, in the gospel, according to Matthew, he wrote, um, it's quite impossible for a city to be set, sorry, it's quite impossible for a city set on a hill to be hidden. Its situation makes concealment impossible. Disciples are not, listen, church, this is for us, disciples. Disciples are not to be worldly people indistinguishable from the people amongst whom they live. 
We're not to be indistinguishable. We're not to just kind of get into the crowd and just kind of become what is around us. That's not what our job is. We're actually supposed to be something wildly different. Jesus follows down this image of sitting on a hill. He kind of doubles down, which means he's probably trying to make a point. He says it again. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand and it gives light to all in the house. That's the entire purpose of a lampstand. This huge question is, what is our purpose? I'll tell you, we're a lampstand. We're meant to shine into the darkness. That's our purpose. You wouldn't walk through a dark, pitch black forest realizing you need night light, pull out a flashlight, turn it on, and put it back in your backpack and zip it up. That's silly. We have a light, a reflection of Christ that can change everything. It's the entire purpose of a lampstand. It's the entire purpose of a city on a hill. It's the entire purpose of a Christ follower. We are not to be worldly people. We are not to be indistinguishable from the people in which whom we live around. Look as we continue on to 16. It says, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. This isn't so people will think you are amazing. It's not so people will think you're kind and wonderful. It's not so people realize how much money you have and how good it is to how much you give. That's not the purpose, because if you continue on, it says, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So do good deeds. Do good deeds. But don't do it to point at you. Hopefully we can just get out of the way and just be pointing at the cross and say, I'm only doing this because of that. See, the goodness of the cross is the goodness of our our. The gift from Christ is as we do good deeds, it exposes that it could not be us. There's nothing really good in Marshall. It can't be me that does good things. It has to be the work of Jesus because I know my own heart. I know my wrestle with the flesh. I know what I struggle with. And it's got to be me getting out of the way saying, look, I'm only, doing, I'm only loving you, specifically you, because Christ called me to. Because it's not in my nature to do that. We're called to reflect Christ. We get caught up in some theology that that isn't good, and and the theology would tell us that good works are part of our salvation story. Listen, good deeds and good works are not part of your salvation story. They are not part. Good deeds and good works are not part of your salvation story, the response to your salvation story. It's the response to our salvation story that we have to do good deeds. God says, do good deeds and do them in such a way that it points to the glory of God because you know how sinful I am already. So it must be God that does this work in me because it can't be me. There's nothing good here. And even though there's, there's highlights of little good things that I think I can do, I don't do them outside of Christ wanting me to do these things. He's called me to a greater purpose. He's called me to be a lampstand, to shine out. It means we have to be different. What does, it, what does it mean to be different? It simply means this. Our nature is going to call us to do something, and we have to go against that nature because our nature is sinful. Our flesh is corrupt. So it means that we are called to love people when hate just feels natural. It means we have to give grace when it's completely undeserved. Now listen, I'll repeat it. You've got to give grace when it is completely undeserved. You know why? Because you got grace when it's completely undeserved. So your response to the goodness of God is to give grace where they don't deserve it. This is a hard one. It was weird just preaching with the students about the woman who bled. We are called to embrace those we wouldn't even touch. And I mean that literally, physically. We're called to embrace those that we wouldn't even want to touch. 
We're called to build, uplift, and encourage those who have sinned against us. We're called to bless and pray for those who persecute us. We're called to forgive, even when no one requests it. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, the lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. This should be a serious challenge because I know our nature. It should be a serious challenge and it should challenge you in a difficult and an uncomfortable way because it, and, and, and it should be with me, especially having to preach it is awful, but it should be with you. It should be with our elders. It should be with our elderly and it should be with the whole generation of people here. It should be with our young and our students, our leaders, our volunteers. It should challenge us in a way that we just don't understand. Why, why would God in his goodness come and rescue and humble me? And I, as a result, I have to change the way I do things regardless of how the world interacts with us. And that's a hard line to swallow. We can't be in the darkness. We can't just be in amongst the worldly people acting like we're just one of them. We're, in, we're called to be distinguishable, not indistinguishable. Part of that means we treat people here, family here, differently. Jesus says they will know we are his disciples by how we love one another. How are you loving one another? How we love each other in this church. It means for our students in the schools, they have to treat their teachers differently and their co-students differently. It means parents who don't get out too often. In your homes, you need to treat your kids differently than the world would want us to, than our hearts would want us to. Some of the people that got here this morning was yelling at their kids pretty hard. I slept out before they woke up, but I would have been me. I mean, I often get caught. I was telling my life group this week, like scolding my kids in a way I don't think Jesus would scold them. Like, I got to change the way I'm behaving to my children so they see Christ reflecting out of their dad. I want them to see Jesus when my kids see me. It means we don't harbor unforgiveness. It means in conflict, we are forgiving and grace-filled. And even in our forgiveness, we're different because we're going to go further than is even necessary. It means, listen to this, it means extending unreasonable amounts of grace to difficult people. Colossians 3.13 says, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, this is huge. In a church setting, just listen to this. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, you should also forgive. There's a lot of complaints here. There's a lot of complaints everywhere. That's our human nature. We're just complainers. If you have a complaint against someone, let me tell you what scripture says. Bear with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, you should also forgive. It means that we are constantly dropping rocks when we want to throw and hurl rocks at someone. Because we recognize that we are guilty and we're forgiven. It means in the face of unfair treatment and deep wounds that we respond, react, and interact differently. And those deep wounds are legitimate. People do hurt us. They do curse us. They do challenge us in a way that's not okay and it's not fair, but we are called to be different. It doesn't mean we just excuse those things. We walk through those things biblically. We pursue God's authority on how to deal with these things through the church, through our authority, through our eldership, through our partners of those who are, we're, we're walking through life with. We're called to be so different. In fact, I use the word remarkably different because I think we should live in such a way that people remark about how different you are. 
remarkably different. They should make a statement about you and your life, you and your job, you and where you are at. Your kids should even see it about how different we are from our nature, from what we would naturally want to do, how we would naturally want to respond. There should be a remarkable difference. People are making a remark about it because here's the hope. Someone will say to you, what is it about the hope that's within you? That's a verse from three years ago with our students. It was 1 Peter 3.15. It says, always be prepared to make a defense. Listen, to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. It's great to take your Bible and scream at everybody, I'm a Christian! It's better if they say, what is it about the hope that's in you? Then you can say, oh, it's because I'm a Christian. It's because I'm a Christ follower that everything's different. That's a better route to go. Live in such a way that someone's going to ask you about the hope that's within you. Let me ask you this question. You can not answer out loud, but do you, do you lack joy in your life? Or do you show joy? Are you known by those around you that you're someone that is just full of love? Full of joy, full of peace, full of patience, full of kindness, full of gentleness, full of goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Are you known to be loving and forgiving and full of grace? Are you known to be an encourager and an uplifter, one who builds up another inside this church, one who uses their gifts that God has given them to edify and uplift and upbuild the church? Is that what you're known as? And I, please hear me, this is really hard to preach. Because as I, as I read this, as I write it, I have to pull my own life apart and say, man, am I a failure? Like, it's, it's just hard to say, is this, is this true of me? Is this, is this something someone could look at me and say, yeah, I see that in you. And it's hard when you know yourself and you know your heart. And I don't preach this because I have it all sorted out. In fact, it's the opposite. I preach it because it's God's word and I desperately need to hear it. I desperately need to know that I need to be a city on a hill, a light that stands out for all to see in the darkness. I can't just merge into the world and pretend that that's okay and pretend that that's not what God has called me to. He has called me to stand out, to be lit in the darkness. A lot of people claim to be Christians and just absolutely aren't. There's a warning about that. Jesus' own words in Matthew 7, 21, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Listen, church, it's almost as simple as this. The evidence of your salvation is your good deeds. The evidence of your salvation is your ability to shine out amongst the darkness. The evidence of your salvation is how you act and how you live and how you shine. That's the evidence of our salvation. If you are a Christ follower, I'm speaking to you. If you're not, here's a cool opportunity to look at those who maybe brought you here or look at those in your family who claim to be Christian and say, are they? Are they measuring up to the standard that God has put out for us? And maybe you can ask them some questions about it. I know my kids are going to come to the second service and I have to preach this. They're going to ask me questions about it. Maybe when I'm yelling at them about spilling cereal everywhere. Would Jesus yell at me, Dad? (laughs) There's no verse to say. Here's another part. When I I talk to our students, it's because I, I know my own heart. When we preach scripture, here's what is a tendency to happen. Everybody wants to apply this to somebody in here or somebody in your life. You're always like, oh man, I hope they hear this. Right? There's somebody you're like, Whoa, that's like a dark lamp. He's hidden his shade. Let me, let me ask you this. Do me a favor this morning. Let's just, let's just apply it directly. Let's just apply it directly. And I know you do that because I was writing it. I'm like, oh, I hope they come this morning. 
You're here, Adam. You're good. <laughs> Not an elder anymore. Let me ask you this, if you can do this. Is blank, put in your own name, is blank known as a joy-filled person? Are you known as a loving person? Insert your name. Are you known as a forgiving, grace-filled person? Are you known in this world as a light that stands out in the darkness? A light can't be hidden. Jesus says it. So are you hiding it? That's a hard one to answer for some of us. And maybe it's worth asking people in your life. Can you give me honest feedback? And where, where can I correct myself? Where can you use scripture to, to humbly like rebuke me and correct me and train me? And I never like to leave. I never like to preach something without giving some good advice on how we can do this forward. So uh, if I'm asking you this morning to look different, to respond different, to act and react different, then I want to give some advice on where we need to go with this because the natural question is how? How do I shake that natural part of me that just wants to respond sinfully? I have very little wisdom on this, but I'm going to read to you from Romans, who has a lot of wisdom. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Don't conform to the patterns of this world. Don't conform to the patterns of this world. You, we can't, as Christians think that we can merge ourselves cleanly and easily into the patterns of this world because we know the world is darkness. You cannot conform. Don't try to, don't want to change your heart desperately to not conform to the patterns of this world because we are called to expose darkness with light. We are called to be outside of the darkness. We're supposed to come into the darkness and expose it. So you can't conform to the patterns of this world. And how do we do that? Well, my family, church, you have to read God's word. It doesn't matter who's preaching here and how often we preach it and how often we repeat it. If you aren't in God's word, you will conform to the patterns of this world because the next line is, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Only God can renew and transform our minds. You can't do it on your own. Don't expect to. Don't think you can. Wake up and taste God's word. Taste and see that he's good. Wake up and know that, his know that his mercies are new every morning. Wake up and be fed. Be fed by God's, mind so we, by God's word so we can have a renewing of our mind. When I grew up, growing up, I was a thief. Like constantly stealing, I broke into buildings. I stole thousands and thousands of dollars. I was caught by police. I did community service. Even after getting caught in, in one summer, I kept continuing worse and worse, always stealing and anywhere. Oh, hey, Dan. Uh, I, kept, I kept stealing and I was confident that if I could get something, I would take something. Confident. That was my heart. I was a thief. I stole from friends, from parents, from churches. I stole a lot from the tithing bin at NBC, actually, stole from schools, from stores. When Christ, when, listen, when, here's what happens. When Christ finally calls me to surrender my life over to him, that desire actually just didn't leave. And some of us are like, what, if you follow Christ, why, why is that not leaving? Well, well, because I needed to understand God's character more. So as I studied God's character more, the desires that I had started to be replaced with my desire for Christ. Things started to become more and more important to me rather than my desire to sin, my desire to honor Christ grew. 
So I still struggled with my flesh. I still struggled with my sinful nature. I still struggled with those things that the world would offer me. But as I got to know God more and more through the reading of his word, through the understanding, through the, through the just meditation on his word, it was replaced more and more. In my, as, as Mark mentioned this morning, in our process of sanctification, it slowly and slowly gets replaced. Over time, my desires started to fade and are replaced by new ones. New ones like live differently, Marshall. Be differently, Marshall. Love differently, Marshall. Known to be a Christ follower. Don't be known as a thief. Known as a follower of Christ. Well, I was called to pick up my cross. I was called actually to deny myself. To deny myself. Like every part of myself that's sinful. I was called to deny that. To pick up my cross and follow Christ. The results of that should be I reflect Christ better in the dark world that I live in. As the worship team comes up, I want church as a challenge, and it's a challenge that usually is the end of all of my messages to our students and to you, is to get into the word a lot more. It's to allow the perfect word of God, of God to transform and renew our minds. Because as a body of Christ, we need to wrestle with conflict amongst ourselves better. We need to be in disagreement differently. We can disagree, but we need to do it differently. Our personalities and preferences get in the way of us loving each other often. We need to do that differently. We need to learn as a family to walk this out differently so that we are the light of the world. We are a city on a hill that can't be hidden. As, as our church, church, I hope, our church is known as a place that is just so loving and so grace-filled and so welcoming and so truth-filled, so unapologetic that people are drawn here, not because of anybody on the stage or any of the worship people, but because of Christ is the center of our church. Christ is the center. So we tie everybody together by how we are lights in this dark world. I pray that we are a light in the world like a city on a hill that can't be hidden. Let me just pray. God, you are good, and I'm not. And in your goodness, you came and, and you turned me towards yourself. You called me towards yourself. God, for those of us here who maybe haven't taken up your authority, that maybe haven't claimed you as Christ this morning, as their king this morning, as maybe they're wrestling with how do you view them, God, first I pray that you would speak into their hearts and let them know that they are loved by a God that sees them and knows them, every part of them. God, that you would take a wretched sinner and make them holy because of Jesus' work. You would call them holy because of Jesus' work. God, this morning, the challenge to our fellow believers here is that we would stand out in the darkness, that we wouldn't try to merge into the world, but we would be a light in a very dark place, that we would reflect the light of Christ well. God, that means that we have to know you better. We have to study the word more. We have to love differently. We have to be graceful differently. We have to pursue you in a way that is just abnormal to our nature. God, I thank you this morning that you would bring us here so we could see each other, a family that is working through this together. That as we leave, we're not alone and isolated, God, but as we go, we, come, we get to come and go and join in our family to work through our struggles, to work through these issues of life, and we can pray together and hold each other up, God, and I pray that we keep going out as lights in the darkness. God, may we, this church, be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, nor would we try to hide. In your holy and perfect name, amen. Let's stand together and sing.